As Mark comes, just one more reminder for you. You guys, counselors, especially listen up, make sure that you remember to meet at 11 o'clock uh, down uh, by the lakefront where we are going to be playing our game. So meet down there, not in here at 11. So meet down there where the game is at 11. That, that'll be good. Can you turn this up just a little bit more, Austin? Thank you very much. O'Toole, Mr. O'Toole, here in a little bit. Good with that, with Colossians 4? Sure? Okay. Okay, it's, uh, it's Friday, and actually my voice is coming back, which makes perfect sense since it's Friday now. Uh, but uh, we've been, uh, as we've started off on these Friday mornings, we've done just like some articles, some clippings, things like that. So today is all about animals, all right? This found a dog for a while now. I've been uh, uh, seeing him walking around, and I decided to catch him. I think he's abused because he's aggressive and tried to bite me. Is that a dog? That is a coyote, folks. That's a coyote. Not a dog. I don't recommend you trying to lasso a coyote anytime soon and taking it home for a pet, all right? Cat found. <laughs> Black with white patches. Very aggressive. I think he's scared. Not house trained, but definitely not that. No collar or name tag. I found it in my back garden. Oh, that is great. As much as I uh, don't like cats. There you go. Dog found. Male beagle around 1130 on Tuesday. Corner of 14th and Pine, approximately six months of age, mostly brown with patches of white and black spots, slightly crooked tail, blue collar, but no tags, very friendly, tasted like chicken. <laughs> oh, I love it. I got to tell you, so when I was in seminary, one of the guys I got to know really well was from a different part of the world, and uh, he gets up to share his testimony, and he'd started in a different seminary, uh, very much in a different part of the world, and he's like, yeah, for our seminary uh, open house icebreaker, they turned a bunch of cats loose. And he said, you want to catch the biggest cat because that has the most meat on it. And I looked at my friend, I'm like, is he, he going to say this? And he's like, and then we had a cat queue. We had a big cat barbecue and we had an icebreaker and, and we ate all these alley cats. I'm like, okay, well, welcome to America. We don't do that too often here. Apparently we eat beagles from time to time, but I'm sure he deserved it, okay? Mr. Giggles, I love that. That does not look like Mr. Giggles to me, okay? That's not like a dog I'm going to take home. He's good with kids. He's well-mannered. Championship bloodlines. A great companion. Performs lots of tricks like eating you in your sleep. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's only $1,200 for Mr. Giggles. Hey, how many guys, you, honestly, you like, you like animals. You're an animal person. Like You like pets and stuff like that. Someday I'm going to get a dog. I used to take my kids to the Animal Rescue League all the time, and it's like 98% Mr. Giggles now. I'm like, okay, we're not going back. I don't need to see another pit bull that might eat me when I'm not paying attention, okay? Free to good home, Rottweiler. A little bit of shepherd in him. Female spade, very intelligent. Loves to eat live rabbits and kittens. Oh, good. Oh, great. Look what I brought home. It's Christmas time. Where's our cats? I have no idea, but this dog is awesome. Loves to play ball with kids. Like, that's going to magically cover up the fact that he eats all your other pets. But he does love, he loves to play with the children. Loves to play with the children. Have you seen this dog? Listen to this. He answers to Zelda, but it's deaf. Whoops. <laughs> if hungry, please feed him flapjacks. Okay. Uh, with a face like that, I'm going to go ahead and assume he's hungry, okay? I love the fact that he answers to Zelda, but he can't hear, okay? Zelda! Zelda! Why won't you respond to me? This is great. Have you seen me? Hi, my name is Claus. He's lost and very, very crazy. 
He's off his medications, which helps to decrease his hostility. If you see Claus, do not make eye contact. He will literally attempt to rip your face off. And I, actually, in fact, I don't want him back. Just call animal control and let them deal with it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> That's just another friendly neighborhood dog. You know what? Actually, I'm good. How many of you guys have a dog like that? Every cat I've ever been around is like that. I'll be honest. How many, are you a cat person in here this morning? You're a cat person? Oh, man. We'll talk afterwards. We'll get you some good counseling. Oh, man. Just a little Friday morning humor for everybody. Oh, boy. That is so funny. I love when people are trying to get you to adopt a dog, and they put, like, the worst possible picture not that there's anything wrong with him, but he has been off his meds for six months, and he might try to rip your face off. Besides that, I think he would do really well in your home with your kids. You know what? When we were growing up, uh, we, we lived out on an acreage on a big farm, a couple thousand acres, and we would always have stray, stray animals come through and dogs show up. And in all seriousness, I, I, I love dogs, and uh, my dad not so much. And so as these stray dogs would come through, and I'd be trying to encourage them to stay, you know, you put, you know, snacks out there on accident, you leave the bull out there. My dad's like, you know, shooting them with a BB gun and encouraging them to, but one morning, it was like Christmas, I'm like, I, I could hear like little dogs. And I opened up the front, front door of our house, and on our front porch, there was a big cardboard box full of puppies. I'm not kidding. About six hours later, they were all gone. Uh, not like dead or anything like that, okay, don't get me wrong. Uh, but it was like the one thing I've always wanted to happen, and, and there were all these puppies just, just everywhere. <laughs> and our neighbor, it was obvious who it was, and our neighbor was like, hey, these are for Roger, I know he'll take care of them, thanks, so-and-so. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? He left all your puppies for my dad to take care of, whatever that could possibly mean. But I am a dog person, and they are quite wonderful. Here's what I wanted to do. Something a little different this morning as we start. As you think about biblical worldview, you know what? We can't take me too seriously if I have this picture up here. So let's pick that off there, okay? As we, we, we've talked about what a, a worldview is, again, help me out. What is a worldview? What is it? Xavier? It's just the way you view the world, right? And, and, but we, we need to understand that everybody has a worldview. Everybody does. Everybody is interpreting what's happening around them with their specific pair of contacts that they put in their eyes every day that brings clarity to things that are right up front and those that are, you know, down the road. And that's how they interpret everything, the, the events of the world, the events in their home, the good, the bad, the ugly. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the point of life? That, that's your worldview. And so then we've established that and, and that, that God's word is true, and so then I want to have a biblical worldview, which means I'm going to put on the lens of Scripture. Those contacts lenses are going to have the truths of God's word, and that's what brings clarity and purpose and hope and joy and peace to my life. And then I'm going to interpret everything that happens to me through the lens of Scripture, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Does that mean life is always going to be easy? Does it? No, it doesn't. But... However, it does mean even though life isn't always going to be easy, I can see God, the almighty creator God of the universe, working the scenes behind the scenes, see? And, and, and he is in control. We, even though we're not, we like to think that we are. We, we like to think that we're the ones determining this, that, and the other, but, but God is ultimately the one who's in control, and then we can have that confidence 
uh, that that's true. If that's true, and we talked about the fact that, that God's word is true, then the only response for me to live out that biblical worldview is Romans 12, 1 and 2. That my life is not my own. And then I want to be a living sacrifice for him. And that's this daily death to myself and availability to God to do whatever it is that he would have me to do. And we're going to talk about that more tonight. But if that's true and if God's word is true, then I want to spend as much time in the word and be as plugged into my church as possible. And we talked, hopefully you had some good conversations. And hopefully that leads to good conversations with your parents too as you walk through this. Okay, there's nothing wrong with extracurriculars and all these different things, but if this is my worldview, right, and, and, and God's word is important and his program for today is what? Where's God working through today? His church, right? And so if that's, that's important, then I want to be not just an attender, I want to be an active, plugged-in member at my church at your age, too. There's all kinds of ministry that you can do there. Then I want to prioritize all these other things around my church, correct? Or is it the other way around? What do you guys think? <laughs> Awkward silence on a Friday. I, I want to prioritize uh, my life around who God is, what His Word has to say, and, and those weekends around my involvement in my local church. And so it's good for us to just think through, okay, what does that look like? What does that look like? How does that flesh itself out uh, in real life on a weekly basis? And I hope that you had some good conversations. That, and if, if God's word is true, then we want to spend time in it. We want to memorize it. And uh, come on up here, if you will. Are you all right with that? I know lots of O'Toole's, okay? I went to school with a few of them as well. And uh, I, I think it's good to, to be reminded that it's good to memorize Scripture and, and our our theme for this week has been in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is a great book, but if, if God's word is true and it's important and it's life-changing, then it's good for us to, to meditate on it. And to meditate on it assumes the fact that you're spending time in it and that you're memorizing it and, and committing it to memory. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over. Say hello. Hey, my name's Tim. <laughs> I feel like we're at like some type of confessions meeting here. Hi, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm addicted to football or whatever it might be. Okay, I'm going to have Tim, uh, he's going to quote, uh, he has memorized the whole book of Colossians, but I'm going to have him quote Colossians chapter 4. The whole thing. Will you? Sure. All right, I just, I just have to say something off the bat. When I was your age, I was in, going into eighth grade, I got the chance to come up here and quote Colossians chapter 3, and my heart was beating like this, you know, really fast. And I thought... When I'm an adult, when I'm up here at Mark's age, I, I, won't be, uh, I won't be nervous at all. But I'm a little nervous because normally when I do this, the people don't actually have the verses memorized. Well, you've, you've got half the chapter memorized, so if I mess up, you're going to know it. So you're going to have to forgive me if I do, but I also have to say I memorized it out of a different version. I think we're memorizing out of the ESV, right, probably. Um, it's going to be sprinkled. It's going to be a hybrid between ESV and probably uh, New King James sprinkled in because as I've been listening to my cabin's verses, my mind's getting mixed up. So forgive me, but here it goes. Masters, give to your servants what is just and good, knowing that you also have a master that is in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in chains, that I would make it 
manifest, that I would make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, I'm sending, to him, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he might know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Timothy, who is my faithful and beloved brother, they will make known to you all that is happening here. Archippus, my fellow prisoner in bonds, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras greets you, and I bear him witness that he has a zeal for you. He labors day and night in prayer for you all. Luke, the beloved physician in Demas, greets you. Greet the brother in Laodicea and Nemphis and the church that is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read, see that you also read the epistle from Laodicea. Say to Aristarchus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation is from my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you very much. It's a good challenge to us to be constantly letting the, the words of God wash over us and help us and, and empower us to do what he's called us to do. The biblical worldview, there's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self, and which are we going to choose? And as we kind of conclude our, our little study this morning, we want to look at just some basic principles for you as you look to live out your biblical worldview uh, on a daily basis. So if you've got your booklet with you, hopefully you do. Uh, and for the morning sessions, you can pop that open. Okay? When I was uh, very, very young, uh, I think I was two or three, uh, like I said, we, we had maybe like a four or five acre yard and then a few acres of timber and all that stuff, but we always had dogs. And the first breed of dog that we had, a few of were beagle puppies. And, uh, and I just, I was attached to them. And so wherever they go, I would kind of go and uh, one afternoon when my parents were out doing yard work and my siblings weren't at home, you know, they let the dog out and I just started following the dog around and, and I know it's hard to believe, but you parents, we can relate to this. You look for away for 10 seconds, then you look back and your kids are gone, right? And you're like, what in the world just happened? Well, uh, on this particular beautiful day, I had followed our dog off into the woods. Remember, we're, we're on a, a couple thousand acres, a couple square miles of property there, and I had just taken off following that little white tail. Uh, out into the woods, and my parents looked up, and I was gone. You know, so panic mode sets in, and they called my aunts and my uncles and, and my grandpa and grandma, and couldn't find me. And uh, I, I honestly don't have a, a ton of recollection, a recollection, 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 either one of those, uh, of this at all. And, uh, and, and I was gone for two or three hours, and finally uh, my dad said, wait a minute, we're doing this wrong. Let's call the dog back. You know, and if he's out there with, with our little beagle puppy, Let's try to get him back, and then I bet Mark will follow him, him back in. 
And so after just five or six minutes of calling the dog, I guess I came up out of this very deep ravine covered in mud and water and all that stuff. And just kind of, kind of like my son does, Heston, you know, just kind of the whatever, no big deal, and came following in our dog all the way right back home. And uh, a little bit of relief on the, on the farm and on our neighbor's farm uh, as well. And, and you know, I, I, I didn't know any better. I wasn't super discerning. And so wherever this little white tail went, I'm sure I just thought, well, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And I would have followed him, I'm sure, for miles and miles and miles. Uh, because I just didn't have the discernment uh, at two or three to say, hey, wait a minute, this, this could possibly lead somewhere where I, I don't want it to lead. And that's why having a biblical worldview is so important. Because otherwise, when all these other different views pop up and all those little tales uh, start wagging, hey, maybe this is true or this is true and this is true and this is true. If we haven't developed uh, in our own hearts, not just because mom and dad say it and not just because the bald guy at camp said it, but because in your heart, you really believe this is true. If you personally don't develop this worldview, when you get to be 15, 16, 17, and all these different options come up and there's all these different temptations, you're going to be like that two-year-old Mark Davis and just kind of following and going, and eventually you'll be off in the middle of no man's land. And I'm sure many of us could give examples of people who started off really, really well, and people that we know really well that right now aren't doing that great. You have to personalize it. It, ha- it, ha- it can't just be this up here, all knowledge, and it can't just be because you've heard about it. It has to be because you've personally, uh, we've personally applied it to our lives. And then that becomes the lens that we personally view the world through. Not again because I've said that or because you've heard it, but because you personally believe that and you've applied it to your life as well. It's super important. And so as we go through and kind of wrap up here this morning some of these principles. We'll, we'll get through some of them. We'll spend more time on than others, okay? I'm not really concerned that you get all your blanks filled in. I'm concerned that we spend some time together going through why this is important, okay? So don't worry. If we don't go through it all, it's okay. Or if we go through some a little quicker, it's all right. Um, uh, we'll get through what, what we're meant to get through here this morning, all right? But when the rubber meets the road, as you look at your life, and you're going to leave camp, right? It's been an awesome week. I appreciate you guys, how thin have you been? Uh, but it, this one little week is only uh, a 50th or so of your year, <laughs> right? It's just reality. And you're going to go back home, and you're going to face all those uh, temptations, and you're going to have all your electronics back at your fingertips, and you're going to be back, and it would be really easy uh, for us to slip right back into uh, those same habits and, and whatever it might be that, that you're trying to, to see victory in in your life. And hopefully, as, as we've looked at this and as you look at some of these biblical principles, and as you get accountability. As you leave here, God didn't mean for you to to fly a solo mission in the Christian life. It's just reality. And two or three people that are right there with you in your corner that you know and you trust. And I heard it this morning with some counselors, you know, sometimes we're too ashamed, you know, to say, hey, this is is a sin that I'm really, really struggling with. And and you, you don't need to be ashamed, okay? need to understand that there is really freedom in confessing and repenting. And, but also what helps that is having people that you can really, really trust in your life. That you know that no matter what you tell them, right, they're going to put their arms around you and they're going to say, okay, that, that sin is sin, okay, we want to deal with it. But they're going to encourage you and help you deal with it in the right way. Counselors too. You know, the older we get, the easier it becomes to, to suppress that. We don't want anybody to know everything's fine, you know. I'm 39, of course, I've got it all figured out. Well, of course, I don't. And I've got people in my life 
that I know that, man, they're helping keep me accountable with all areas of my life, and, and we all need that as well, okay? All these different principles, again, we're going to spend a little time on, but when it comes to fleshing this out on a daily basis, principle number one, if, if, if it's a biblical worldview, it's simple obedience, right? Show you love God, do what he says. Just simply obey from the heart. The idea of Ephesians 5, doing the will of God from the heart. 1 John 5, 2, though, says, By this we know, this is how we know that we love the children of God, is when we love God and we keep his commandments. Remember at the Last Supper, and, and Jesus says, If you love me, you'll do what? Yeah, it's real simple. It's obedience, right? Obedience from the heart. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome or grievous. They're not. And in light of who he is and what he's done for us, if this is truth, and we know that this is absolute truth, he says, then just simply do what you know you're supposed to do. Man, if, if that was practice, and if it was a coach, and you're trying to make varsity, or whatever it might be, or first chair, is that what it's called, however that works with music, right? If you're an instrument, not if you're an instrument, but if you, play, if you happen to be a trombone this morning, uh, can you tell I don't do much with music? Uh, and, and your coach comes to you and says, hey, look, if you want to get from here to here, this is what it's going to take. Man, you're, you're, you're like a sponge. You're soaking that all in. It's whatever it takes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to apply this. And, and how much more then when Jesus says, look, it's real easy. It, it, don't tell me you love me and then, and then walk out the door and leave camp and, and then watch this and talk like this and then go back to your friends and then go back to treating these people like garbage at, at church but, and this, that, whatever it might be. Just keep my commandments. And he, and he says that it's not burdensome. And that's how you show that you love God is when you live out your faith uh, on a regular daily basis. Secondly, he says, just say no. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, don't, don't go with them. Don't consider this is a little different translation up here. But the idea is, look, when sinners tempt you, just say no. But you have to have that worldview ahead of time, and you have to have those principles built into your life, and you've had to spend time in the Word and let the Word of God wash over your heart and soul so that you can be a person of principle so that when those things come, you can recall Scripture, whether it's Colossians 4 or Romans 6, or whatever it might be, those things can come to mind, and you can say, oh, I, I remember, it. it's not worth it. And here's this uh, passage in Scripture that you can bring to mind that's going to help you uh, in that situation, and it's so important to be a person of biblical principles, because again, otherwise you're going to be like that little three-year-old Mark Davis, and all these little things are going to pop up, and it's like, oh man, I, I don't know what I want to do, and man, I, I think, what, you know what I think one of the biggest issues is why we don't say no? What do you think it is? Why, why is it so hard sometimes to just do what we know is right? Besides the obvious, us, you know, our, our, our sin nature. But what is it? What do you guys think? Why is it really hard, especially when you get to be in junior high and senior high? Somebody raise your hand. Yep. What's that? We call it the fear of man, right? Instead of having a fear or a respect, a, a reverential view of who God is, sometimes we elevate the opinions of people above that, right? And we get so concerned, and I get so concerned about what people will think or a neighbor will think. And in light of that, we, we view our life through the, the opinions of others instead of the opinions of God. And it gets really hard when you want to be accepted by your peers, right? Do we naturally want to sit by ourselves at lunch? Yes or no? No, same here. I, I understand, I really do. Do you naturally want to be the only guy on your baseball team or in your pet band that's a Christian? No, we want to be accepted, and we want to be accepted into this group. And if, man, if I say too much or if I do too much, maybe I'm going to be, I'm going to be that guy, right? 
And God says, time out. I've designed you to be that person. Uh, that, that's your whole, you're here not just to have faith, but to live it out and to share it. And let me just tell you, your high school years and your junior high years, I know it's like, man, this is five, six years. It's going to go by like that. It really will. And you're going to look back and it's going to be like, okay, did I take advantage of those opportunities, all those opportunities every day that God gave me uh, to live out and share my faith with others? But if I'm consistently not saying no and I'm just doing this, that, and the other, those opportunities, that baseline for me uh, to speak out on what I say I believe is going to be gone, right? Because what, how we live validates what we say we believe. And I know it's Christianity 101, but it's true. And this is a great time for you to understand that and, and to apply that and to live it out. And especially as you, as you go to a big school, small school, it doesn't matter. If, if the majority of the people you're around from 9 to 5 every day don't know Christ, that can be really hard. And that's why it's so important to have that built-in accountability. It's so important. Man, I had an awesome youth pastor. It was Phil Betts. That was my youth pastor growing up. I, I had awesome people in my life of all different ages. Kenny Carlson is my, was my grandpa's age. He'd be like 96 today. But Kenny Carlson prayed for me almost every day. And then him and his wife would come up to me when they were in their 70s at church, and they would say, and they, were, they knew my grandpa. They were farmers. They were in World War II. And, and, and he would say, hey, Mark, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. I know it's hard. I know you're at Bondurant. It's a public school. But he would say, this old farmer's praying for you. Don't give in. Don't give in. Don't give in. And that meant a lot to me. And then, I, and then I had friends, obviously, as well. And, and you need all those different layers. We need that. We need each other. We really do. We need each other to be spurring each other on to good works and to encouraging us to just say no when those temptations pop up. Your youth pastors are here for a reason. Your counselors are here for a reason. When that temptation comes, be in such a place spiritually that you're already prepared and expecting to say no. Okay? Watch out for red flags. A prudent man, a wise man, he sees evil coming, the temptation coming, he hides himself, he, he, he adjusts accordingly. But the simple, uh, the foolish, they pass on and they're punished. In other words, as you're living out your life and you see a possible temptation or a stumbling block that's, that's coming your way, you have to adjust accordingly. And not just say, hey, it's not going to be that big a deal, I know there's going to be stuff at this party that shouldn't be there, but I'll be fine, I'm still going to go, and, and we'll just see what happens, whatever happens, happens, that just must be what God has for me. And yeah, I know there's probably going to be alcohol there. I know there's going to be all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be there. That's the simple person who goes ahead and passes on and, and goes to the party and says, well, where the wise person says, wait a minute, this, this might possibly be there, so I'm not going to allow myself to be put in this set of circumstances. Or hey, I could watch this movie, right? But man, it's rated this, and you know, I'm plugged in. It says there's a few scenes of this, and there's 400 you know, of this. And, but you know what? I think it'll be fine. You know what, I'm just going to go, the wise person says, wait a minute, man, it's violating about 47 different biblical principles. I'm not going to allow myself to be subjected to that. Why do we do that? But the foolish person says, it's no big deal, I'm going to go anyways. Have you guys heard of the Masaba and the Californian? How many guys have heard of those before? Just a couple of you, right? You've heard of the Titanic, right? Anybody heard of the Titanic? Why have you heard of the Titanic? <laughs> because it sunk, right? Well, there was two other ships that went on ahead of it that saw the, that saw the problems. They saw the icebergs, and, and they turned around. Listen to this. On April 10th, 1912, the Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage. Voyage, boy, I can't talk. 
By the way, you know they've rebuilt the Titanic 2.0. It's an exact replica of what the Titanic used to look like. How many guys have seen that? And li- literally, I mean, it's, it's built to 1912, all the different things and features and finishes. Uh, seems like I wouldn't want to get on that. Anyways, it was captained by Edru- Edward J. Smith, who was known as the millionaire's captain because of his popularity with wealthy passengers. Indeed, on board the Titanic were a number of prominent people, including American businessmen, British journalists, and several major businessmen like Macy's department store co-founders, his wife, all all these famous people uh, were on there. Listen to how the Titanic voyage started. The voyage nearly began with a collision, however, when the suction from the Titanic caused the docked New York boat right next to it to swing into the giant's path. After an hour of maneuverings to prevent the accident, the Titanic was underway on the evening of April 10th. The ship stopped in France, and it was docked there. It goes on to Europe, and then at 1.30 p.m., it set sail from Ireland back to New York. 2,200 people were on board. 1,300 of those were passengers, okay? Throughout much of the voyage, the wireless radio operators on the Titanic, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, had been receiving iceberg warnings. So this wasn't, it's not like they weren't aware that these things were were in their path and it wasn't a possibility. So let me say it again. Throughout much of the voyage, the wireless radio operators on the Titanic, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, had been receiving iceberg warnings. They were passed along to the bridge. The two men worked for the Marconi Company, and much of their job was relaying passengers' messages. On the evening of April 14th, the Titanic began to approach an area known to have icebergs. Smith slightly altered the ship's course to head a little farther south. However, he maintained the ship's speed of 22 knots. At approximately 9.40 p.m., the Masaba sent a warning of an ice field. The message was never relayed to the Titanic's bridge. At 10.55 p.m., another ship, the California, sent word that it had stopped after becoming surrounded by ice and was turning around. Phillips, however, who was handling passenger messengers, scolded the two ships for interrupting his evening activities. The two lookouts were stationed in the crow's nest of the Titanic. Their task was made difficult by the fact that the ocean was unusually calm that night because there would be little water breaking at the base and iceberg would be more difficult to spot. And we know how the story goes, but here's the deal. You've never heard of those two other ships because they saw the danger and adjusted their paths accordingly. The Titanic, not only did it not adjust its path, the people that were in charge of the safety of the ship actually got upset because the people were relaying them, hey, look, I see where you're going, and it's not going to end well. And you know what? I bet there's people in your life that love you enough that would say, hey, look, I I see the collision course you're on with your choices and and your activities and what's going on, and, and there's all these different pitfalls ahead that could obviously be a huge issue in your life. And, and sometimes we actually get upset with those people, don't we? Hey, it's my life. I know what I'm doing. I got this figured out. I'm 12 years old after all, right? I've seen a lot, okay? I'm really good at Fortnite. i got all these things going for me. The last thing I need is a 40-year-old who has three times as much life under his belt telling me what to do. The last thing I need is a, is a parent who's, who's seen this a hundred times over in the lives of 50 other teens, and even though I know they desperately love me and want God's best for me, the last thing I need this morning is a parent telling me of the warnings of these things and, and where, what I'm on a collision course with. But you know what? That could have all been avoided. Could have all been avoided except for the pride of a couple guys whose entire job was to keep this ship safe. 
And you know what? It can be avoided in our lives too. If we humble ourselves and realize, okay, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I need people speaking truth into my life desperately. And so do you. And when those people look at you and they say, hey, here's what's coming up. Here's what I see. Listen. Don't be the foolish person who's like, I don't need that. And then you just pass on and you keep going and then you're on a collision course. You know, before the Titanic sunk, it split in two. And I think sometimes right before we're about ready to just absolutely lose it. it there's, a, there's a breakdown. There's a, there's a whatever it might be, but there's one last opportunity I feel like God is giving us to be like, man, humble yourselves, confess, repent, meet with this person, take care of this. And they waited too long. That's obviously not a picture of the real Titanic, okay? But that's what it did. So are we going to be foolish or are we going to be wise? Do we want that? Or do we want the Californian <laughs> and other people speaking truth into our life and we say, wait a minute, I need to make some adjustments. Let God cover sin. He that covers his sins, he's not going to prosper. We talked about this just last night, right? Yeah. If you confess though and forsake, you're going to have mercy. You know, too often we try to cover sin and, and we don't want others to know what, what's going on and, and whatever else. Instead of letting God take care of that. Man, he loves you and there's grace there and there's forgiveness and you can have victory and you don't have to have the weight and, and the guilt that's unnecessarily there when we try to carry sin with us through our life. It doesn't have to be that way. There is a better way. And I hope that many of you uh, went back last night. I hope that throughout uh, today, if there's still things there, this is a great opportunity for us to deal with different issues that might be in our lives, Okay. You don't know who this is, and maybe you do, but for over a decade, American shot putter Adam Nelson had to settle for second place. A silver medalist in the 2000 Olympic Games, he missed out on first place in the 2004 Athens Olympics by a slim margin. He competed again in the 2008, but didn't receive a medal in 2012. He didn't even make the cut for the London trials. There were suspicions about unfair play in some of the competitors, but he told CNN to put his, he put his faith in other places. There's a little bit of chosen ignorance that you have to have as an athlete, he explained. A full eight years later, after he completed in Athens, he was informed by the Olympic Committee that he was actually, in fact, the real 2004 shot put champion. The Ukrainian winner had tested positive in 2012 for a banned substance in a retroactive drug test and was stripped of the title. You know, we talked about this some last night, but I'm, I'm sure that gold medalist was like, man, I did it. I made it. I, I, I cheated, and <laughs> I got the gold. I got all these endorsements and, and all these things, and this poor guy's like, dude, I did everything the right way, and this is what I get for it. And finally, eight years later, it comes out, and he, he was right, and he was, he was vindicated. But instead of trying to cover our sin and hope for the best, remember one of the characteristics of the consequences of our sins last night was what? We don't get to control the, the timing, Right? And yes, you can try and cover and conceal, but, but eventually, uh, if you're a Christian, man, because God loves us so much, he's going to bring that to light so that it can be dealt with, okay? Keep a clear conscience. We're going to fill these in, and we're going to have one last thought before I turn you loose. Keep a clear conscience. We're going to go to the end. You can't stay neutral. You can't. You might think you're Switzerland, and it's like, hey, I'm... 
I'm not picking sides here. By not picking sides, you have chosen a side, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just reality. If you're at school, I remember a guy named Lucas when I was at Bondurant way back in the day. Awesome Christian guy. Had a few different thoughts on life than we would have here, but he was definitely a believer. And he got mocked and ridiculed, and I did nothing to come to his aid. And he sat by lunch by himself every day at school, had his Bible with him every day at lunch. And he wasn't like an in-your-face guy. He was a very gracious, nice guy. He was two years older than I was. And, I, I mean, if he had a friend all through high school, I'd have been shocked, but I should have been his friend. And by not saying anything, I was saying a whole lot. And by not coming to his aid and, and being a source of encouragement for him, man, I, I definitely chose sides. Silence can mean approval. Same type of deal. Man, if you're not saying anything, you are saying something. And if you're okay to sit there and, and go through inappropriate jokes and comments at school and you don't say anything, you are saying something, right? Or at church, uh, or at your Christian school, in your home, whatever it might be, you are giving approval. Uh, give your friends a choice. In light of this, you should step in. If you're really a friend, I really don't think that we can call ourselves friends if you're not willing to be a source of encouragement but also accountability and not just tell people what they want to hear but what they need to hear. That was one of the things that why Paul had such a big influence on those pastors that were willing to travel miles by land to meet him uh, at the end of his time there in Ephesus. And it says that they fell on his neck, neck weeping uncontrollably because they knew they were never going to see him again. And one of the reasons that they really appreciated about Paul was how he handled the word and he didn't shrink back from telling them exactly what they needed to hear, not just what they wanted to hear. But lastly here, uh, I want to, oh, discipline is good, it's not bad. That's number nine. I guess we will get these filled in for you. Anybody know what that is? What is that? They're really small. It's a kidney stone. It's a blown up picture of a kidney stone. I get them all the time. Uh, when I was 34, I was actually up here speaking at a retreat. I started having some side effects. Anybody ever had a kidney stone? Feel pretty good? It was the most excruciating pain I have ever, I mean, you start vomiting, you start, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I had a female nurse and she said, I've had six kids. This is far worse than having kids. I can tell you that personally. She's like, I've had kidney stones, I've had kids. She's like, trust me, I'd much rather give birth to triplets than have a little kidney stone. If you know anything about kidney stones, I had an eight millimeter kidney stone and I ended up passing it on my own, which never happens. But I was in excruciating pain and you're expecting to have like this boulder inside of you, Right? I mean, it is horrible. And you get to the ER, they drive me to the ER, and as soon as they get that morphine drip, I, I was just like, woohoo! This is awesome. I started talking apparently about Chicago Bears and all the moves they should have made, and the nurse was like, you would not shut up about the Bears. Uh, but, uh, and then all of a sudden, this little thing comes out, and you're like, really? It was that tiny little thing that was causing all of this pain. Uh, in my kidney, it backs up all the fluid in there, and it won't allow it to come out. And You know what's interesting? I'm just being, I'm trying to be transparent this morning. When there's struggles in my life and in my heart, how God disciplines me often and how he brings me back to him to get a, a right perspective is right here. It's through little physical things like this. I've probably had 15 kidney stones in the last four or five years. But I could pinpoint when that happens, there's usually an issue going on that I've responded, responded poorly to, or there's, there's a little heart thing there, and this is how God touches me 
and pricks my heart is through things like this. How does he deal with you? He loves us too much, right? There's going to be little things that he comes in. I hope it's not a kidney stone for you, by the way. But there's going to be little things that he's going to bring our way to remind us that, hey, it's bigger than you. It's not about you. But he loves us too, too much to keep us. And two or three can help. <coughs> two or three can help. Actually, not can. They do. And I would just strongly encourage you. And, and again, you've got awesome people here with you or they wouldn't have taken the time to be here, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, as we had you write down, man, here's, here's some things I'm struggling with or, or here's a sin in my life or here's something that needs to know Christ, I'd encourage you. Is there just one or two people that you could write down the name of this morning that would be a huge source of encouragement for you that could help you with your walk with Christ? Counselors, if you don't have that in your life right now, I'm assuming most of you do, that you can be 100% transparent with, especially us as guys, that they know everything. I mean, really, that they, they, they know you. If you do not have that, you're setting yourself up for disaster. I really believe that. This is not meant to be a solo mission. You need to have people that know everything about your internet. They need to have everything about, you know, this, that, and the other. They need to know you really, really well, but then we have to be honest enough with them. Um, but uh, uh, guys here in youth group, or <laughs> youth group at camp, uh, junior hires, I would encourage you, now's the time for you to start to seek out those relationships and your best friends, your best friends should be people who are going to help you, not be a hindrance, but they're going to help you along in your walk with Christ. And uh, man, if you can start doing that now, what's life going to be like when you're 16, 17, 18, 20, 25? It, it, <laughs> it will be much more like the Californian than the Titanic, okay? I appreciate your attention this morning. I've enjoyed these times. We have one more time together this evening. I'd encourage you to talk with those who are here with you throughout the day with whatever it is that God's worked on your heart. And just a friendly reminder, at 11 o'clock, not at 1045, but at 11 o'clock, we're all going to meet up on the hill, and you're going to have your, uh, your wetsuit on, whatever it is that you brought, so that you can enjoy some water games. But before we dismiss... I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll have the guys go out and around, and you'll have a few minutes for devotions, and then as a group as well. God, we love you. We need you. Lord, I need you. I'm so thankful for the camp, and I'm so thankful for those that are here. I really mean that. And so I pray that you would use this week in their lives, Lord, that it would be a springboard for the rest of the summer and for their school year. Lord, help us to be honest enough to admit the areas that we struggle with, but then it can't stop there. We want to we take action. And Lord, give wisdom to the counselors that are here, Lord, as they interact with these teens here. And even moving forward, as many, if not most of them, are from their local churches, God. As your sons, then we can pray. Amen.